Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Yes, yes, yes. Traffic in our city is a mess. But there's a bright side to having more congestion on the streets. You get more time to have a captivating conversation. I know, right now you're giving me the classic eye roll and you're sarcastically saying, thanks, Khalil. I guess I'm biased. I've taken lots of rides with some of our fellow Nashvillians for the Riding Shotgun series. Fortunately, not many of the rides have had us stuck in traffic, but there have been some truly insightful conversations. For this version of the Best of Writing Shotgun, we're going to hang out with some of the music makers in our town. We are Music City, right? Let's kick it off by going back to my ride with hip-hop artist Derek Farrier, who uses the moniker DTL Jams. As we drove around Nashville, he told me he started rapping when he was just three years old. He went on to describe the DTL Jams sound. Describe for us the DTL Jam sound. Oh, man. DTL Jam sound. Psycho rap. Psycho rap. Psycho rap. Yeah. Okay. It was just like psychedelic rap. Very far out sounds and oddball samples. I mean, if you had to throw a comparison, I'm like a blender of a, of a, you know, a Mad Lib Dilla alchemist. You know, throw some some Timbaland in there, some Neptunes. Those are my, the, like my main producer influences, and so like sometimes it's kind of it, it's hard to not sound like that. I, I try to stay as far away from the mainstream sound as possible, mm-hmm. which kind of it alienates me from a lot of artists because a lot of artists like to chase uh, what's current and what's now, thinking that that's you know the best thing. And hey, more power to them. I woke up, guess I'm glad to be alive Suspended license, and don't ask me to drive Showing up late to work because I need a ride Don't you ever say I don't get down because I need a ride Derek is a one-man band Not only does he MC, he produces, plays the drums and keyboards, and he DJs Of the hip-hop producers who have influenced him None stand out more than the legendary Jay Dilla Arguably one of the most influential hip-hop producers of all time 17 years after his death, Jay Dilla's music still motivates and confounds listeners. Jay Dilla, okay, it's the video for Climax and Raise It Up. I remember watching that and being like, yo, this is, this ain't normal. You know what I'm saying? This, mm-hmm. this is not normal. This is, this sounds like a different time of hip hop. Like, yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell if it was futuristic or retro, it was it, but it was like a great combination of retro futurism. And to this day, that song still sounds like it's from the future. Climax, what he did. So he sampled the I'll Be Sure song, Night and Day. I have listened to Night and Day at a sped tempo. <laughs> I've slowed the entire track down to try to pick out where exactly he sampled and right. how he flipped it. And I still can't figure it out. Like, I don't think anyone knows how he flipped that. 
when it comes to sampling, how do you approach that? Because there's some people who say, well, that's stealing. Yeah. Some people think that it's not very creative, that it's cheating in many ways. Yeah. And then there's other folks, I'm not of that belief because I'm a sample hip hop artist myself. Yeah. How do you view sampling? I love sampling. I love the um, feeling of me listening to a song and later finding out, hold on, wait a minute that's a sample like where, what's the original like as a fan of music it's my job to find the original i'm gonna listen to the original i'm gonna listen to the artist's album that the album it came from i'm gonna go back to their first album like, that's, mm -hmm. that's just how my that's how i operate mm -hmm. so it's like wait if mad lib sampled this song from this artist, I want to know what the album sounds like. I want, I want to yeah. hear the stuff that he skipped over. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear the things he didn't sample. I love sampling, man. You take what you can get and you make something fresh out of it. That's beautiful. I've lived in the dream world where everyone knows my name and everyone goes the same when I spit. DTL Jams is a hip hop producer who's also a sample artist. I am as well. Any person who uses samples is bound to have some kind of vinyl record collection. Collecting vinyl is addictive. I can't pass by a thrift store or a garage sale without looking to see if there's a gem in that stack of old records. Nashville has some pretty good record stores. One of the best is Phonolux Records off of Nolensville Pike. I was introduced to Phonolux by Stephanie Montoya, who at the time went by DJ Moonchild Steph. You can find her DJing now simply as DJ Stephanie. Take a listen as we go digging in the crates. What's up, y'all? It's Moonchild Steph. I'm born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Love music. I work for a nonprofit, and in my free time, I'm a DJ. Well, we're here at Phono Lux Records. Yeah. And we're gonna dig for some vinyl. Yes, we are. It's one of my favorite record shops in town. So. Why? I'm excited. Just the history. It's been here for almost 30 years, if not that. I've met the owner. He moved here from overseas, from I believe the UK, and came here and opened this record shop. Yes. So where do you normally start? So I actually do start in the jazz section normally because it's like right in front of you when you walk in. Okay. And then I'll usually start here. They switch things up a little bit. So it looks like they've put CDs out here, but um, I'll usually come around this way and like look for like any disco or funk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, usually they'll have like 12 inch singles around here on this side as well. That rare single. If I can find something that will make the crowd dance out of set, mm -hmm. um, it's like, all right, gotta get it. How often do you hit up thrift stores? You know, not often enough. It's always hit or miss, but the last time I went to Goodwill by my house, I actually found breakbeats, like okay. hip hop stuff that I'm like, wow, would not expect to find at the Brentwood Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, usually I just come to the record shops. I like to support the local record shops too when I can. So. I hear that. That's one of my favorite albums. Really? Ahmad Jamal, Happy Moods. He is Miles Davis's favorite jazz pianist. Okay, there's two songs on here yes, that I really, cool. really love. Um, excerpt from the blues. It's just a wonderful live version. It's so romantic and nice. <laughs> I have a 
lot of Nancy Wilson. Okay. She's one of my favorite vocalists. Yes. My, like one of my all-time favorite songs is her song "I'm in Love." I don't know if you. Hum a little bit of it for me. Um, it's like the intro. The intro goes. Yes. It's just such a yes. feel-good song. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Classic right there. Nancy Wilson can really do it all. Now, any good DJ has a deep catalog of songs to choose from. A lot of DJs bring their laptops and external hard drives to have access to all of those songs. Vinyl DJs, well, they have to carry their records around with them. Let me tell you, records are very, very heavy. DJ Stephanie knows this all too well. Like I used to bring like three crates of records to a set. When I'm really playing like a set set, it's about four hours. Mm-hmm. So I like to have options when I'm playing. For a while, I also used to just lug everything like by hand. And it wasn't until recently that I, I finally got a dolly. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, because I've gone to the point where I was like, I can't. Mm-hmm. Bless you. Thank you. The dust from records. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you go record digging after a while and you get to your car or something and you look at your hands. Oh, always. I'm like, if my hands aren't dirty, then the job did not get dirty. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Part of the Dusty Fingers crew. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue to play some of the greatest hits of Shotgun Rides with some of the musicians of Music City. You want to take a shotgun ride? Just email us at thisisnashville at wpln.org. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Thanks for joining us for this Best of Riding Shotgun Music Edition. Now, our town is famous for music and musical talent. There are way too many world-famous performers who have launched their careers here in Nashville for me to list. But the performer is nothing without a song to sing. To me, songwriters rule the roost in this town. This past spring, I took a ride with songwriter and performer Luke Dick, He has written dozens of hit songs for artists like Miranda Lambert, Casey Musgraves, and Gerard Neiman. We drove around the backwoods of Inglewood, but as we did, we were sure to keep our eyes on the road. This is, you know, this is kind of chancy, me driving around. My boot thing, if I start talking or looking out the window or doing anything but driving, I start swerving around. She says, you got to pull over and let me. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) When we go on trips. What's the worst thing that's happened on one of these drives? Has somebody bashed into a gate or anything? No, nothing like that. What's the... Nothing really bad. Um, Good for you. Yeah, they've all been pretty cool. I really want to look at you guys when I'm telling you stuff, but it's difficult. I don't yeah, want. I don't want. To, yeah, I, don't I get want to, it. I don't want us to die. Yeah, um, neither, neither do I. <laughs> oh, we got a rainbow! Holy egg! 
All uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see if it's got a full rainbow, half rainbow. It's going all the way. Kind of looks like we have a full We got one. a full rainbow. That's Amazing. Awesome. Rainbow over East Nashville. <laughs> my publisher, who's my basically my partner in my career, is um, always said, do the thing that you want to do. Do the thing that you do, you know, and also do a lot of it, right? Because publishers want you to write a lot. Yeah. Um, but I... I I can't do that. Uh, I can't, you know, it's like I write, I don't know, I'd say probably maybe 50 songs a year or something like that. I don't okay. Know. And, um, almost a song a week. Yeah, about a song. I'd probably average a song a week, and that'd be like a, a whole compositions, whatever, because you're writing with other people. You know, I'm supposed to write 24 whole compositions a year or something like that. Um, and, and, anymore i don't even record them if i don't like them you know it's like uh, uh because if i don't like it probably nobody else is gonna like it. if i don't think much of it you know mm -hmm. other people aren't gonna like it but anyway i was just writing stuff that i liked right you have hits with miranda labyrinth and yeah. others you know so when you're writing this song as soon as you start to get those tingles and you're like, oh, I got something that's hot. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be perfect for Miranda or that person. Is it just more of hearing them as the artist over it or knowing who they are as a person and understanding how they may resonate and reflect with the song? I singing? think more. it's more about them like that, more about them personally um, and knowing them personally, especially over the conversations that you may have had with them over the years. At some point in your career, when you move into a community of writers or an artistic community that you're operating within, is that you have to get over this idea um, that somebody knows something more than you, that there is an intuition inside of you um, to try to do what it is we're passionate about. If you have a voice and if you have an impulse, you know. Yeah. Um, you follow that thread and see where it leads you. I like this. It's like the Tao of the songwriter. <laughs> Luke Dick is a songwriter with an extensive catalog that contains dozens of songs. Alex Barnes is just getting started. In August, the Ohio-born singer-songwriter released her first song. We drove around, and she talked about her big day. So let's talk about your music a little bit. Like, what are your songs about? A lot about love. <laughs> uh, My first single's coming out on August 1st, so I'm really excited about that. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, and it's a traditional country tune um, about fighting with your lover. What is it about love that gets you to write songs about it? Maybe it's because it's like something that's hard to put words to. Each relationship is different. And I think also like being a queer artist, there is something to that experience that isn't represented in a lot of music. And so like that perspective is important and sharing that is important. Despite the challenges of being a queer singer-songwriter in our city, Alex has found a community and venues to share her music with. She smiles as she tells me about one of her favorite places to play. Events like Rainbow on Tuesday nights at the Lipstick Lounge, which is a queer songwriter night. My friend Sarah Gashan also runs this event called Queer Fest. Getting in spaces like that um, has been really wonderful. Also just like seeing the community that like has come up around it and like I've become a fan of a lot of queer artists in town because I've been going to those events and seeing 
other performers and songwriters and it's really wonderful. How important is it to you to do these things on your own terms? Probably the most important because I moved here and was like, okay, I want to be a songwriter and I'm happy just writing songs and writing them for other people and found over the course of a couple years that maybe I had more of a voice. The reward for all this stuff is that you get to wake up and do more of it, you know? So if you're not doing it on your own terms, what's the point? <laughs> Boots on the porch, right where they belong. Alex's newest song is being released on December 2nd. I know you'll want to hear it. Now, Paul Lauren is an accomplished musician. The native New Yorker is a crooner and pianist who spends his Wednesday nights accompanying would-be stars at Sid Gold's Request Room in East Nashville. There, people sing karaoke, but there's a twist. They sing with a pianist instead of a backing track. This requires players like Paul to have a lot of songs in their arsenal. Okay, so how many songs are in your arsenal for... Sid Golds. I think I got about between 900 and 1,000 songs on my list currently, so I, somewhere around there. 900 or 1,000 songs, you can just sit in front of a keyboard or a piano and start playing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Man. I mean, some of them, uh, to be honest, Cleo, like three quarters of that list I got, but there is a quarter of that list where you don't play the song for a year or a few months at it, you know, and you got to refresh a little bit, or you, I pull up the lyrics, or once in a while I pull up a chord chart, so it's not like... I don't have 900 songs ready to go. The other thing is, you're there to support the singer. And the singer, maybe it's a gentleman who is singing a song originally done by a lady. Maybe the gentleman wants to sing Whitney Houston. But Lord knows he does not have Whitney's range. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he does not have the inflection. So you have to accommodate the singer and put that song in a new key that is comfortable to the singer. And that is a deep part of the job. Okay. And there's a little bit of guesswork in that. Paul has seen hundreds of people get on stage at Sid Gold's and give their favorite songs a shot. Sometimes he and the crowd are pleasantly surprised at what some people can do. You have ringers in this town. You have people that maybe they're middle-aged, maybe they're younger, it doesn't matter the age, but they're sitting there all quiet, they're sipping on their cocktail, and I look at my request list, and I see, oh, maybe I'll take this exit here. <laughs> I look at my request list, and I see son of a preacher man, Dusty Springfield, you know, and so let's say her name is Rebecca, and I call upon Rebecca, how about a round of applause for her? She, she'll come on up, and I play that opening intro, right? You know, mm -hmm. you know how it starts. Uh, Rebecca lays into it, and you've never heard Rebecca sing before. In that moment, she is dusty, right? Billy Ray was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gather around and started talking, that's when Billy would take me away. You know, there are other showbiz towns, but there's not that many song towns. And this being a song town, and your job is to play some of the best songs ever written, you're going to get some of the best voices, secret or not so secret, in, in that <laughs> piano room. Tell me a story about when you were utterly shocked by what someone did on stage there. Mm. Let's call this lady Alice. Mm -hmm. Alice is an older lady, it's real spunky, full of life. 
and uh, I see her name on my list and I see that she wants to sing Etta James's At Last. Ooh. We know that one. We grew up with that one. Yes. It is timeless. Etta James's version is the version of that song. And that is not a request that you can put down lightly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you are in the shadow of Etta. So I call it a little like, okay, you know, let's see what happens here. I mean, if it goes <laughs> awry, I can step in and help the person. Yeah, yeah. I could help Alice out in this case. Uh, and Alice comes up and I play that intro. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's that little held note uh, on the five chord, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that will lead into the At last. Alice just lays in with this gorgeous rasp and wisdom in her voice of years lived and I think shocked the whole room. Certainly the biggest smile came over my face. Alice killed the song and inhabited something, inhabited some kind of deep understanding about the material like she had experienced it herself or first recorded the song herself or in in some ways you were reminded of Edda's version and in some ways you forgot it mm. and I think that was kind of a magical uh, night for me um, and it I was like I think I'm gonna stick around here That's a sampling of the rides I took with some of the music people who make Music City go. Who knows? Maybe my next ride is with you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear from Chris Crofton, who's back with another edition of Nashville Confidential. For this one, Chris recounts his recent run for a Metro Council at-large seat. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Lake and this is Nashville. Chris Crofton is widely known as the Advice King. He has an advice column for the Nashville scene. He's also a musician, writer, comedian, and all-out interesting human. He joins us now with his opinion piece as he looks back at his campaign for one of the five Metro Council at-large seats this past summer. I'll let Chris take it from here. Remember when Nashville used to be more than stadiums, bars, guns, Airbnbs, and property values? Well, it still is. There's people here, too. Nashville Confidential with Chris Crofton, bringing you voices from the streets of Madison, to the halls of the legislature, to the rivers of Robertson County. Nashville Confidential. Brought to you by me. This is Nashville. This past summer, I ran for Nashville Metro Council. If you're listening elsewhere, that's the city council. That's something I never imagined I would do. 
because I'd rather be doing the things I used to do when there was a functioning middle class, which is making music, doing stand-up comedy, I don't know, going to the park. But the intersection of Gallatin Road and Old Hickory Boulevard, the Republican legislature and the Tennessee Titans had other plans for me. It all started with me moving to Madison, just up the road from the mythical East Nashville. The condition of Madison's roads and the size of the unhoused population and the lack of services for those unhoused people uh, were shocking to me. Then Justin Jones and Justin Pearson were thrown out of the legislature for doing their job, and then came the deal for the Titan Stadium. I was mad, so I did what I usually do when I'm mad. I tweeted about it. Here's one of my tweets from late April 2023. I wrote, quote, Just to recap, Nashville has high poverty, abysmal infrastructure, no affordable housing, and the Metro Council is forcing Nashville's citizens to subsidize the NFL. This is fascism, not hyperbole either. Look it up. End quote. Another tweet, quote, Put bluntly, Nashville citizens are being forced to put money toward a for-profit NFL stadium. It should be the other way around. The NFL should be paying and paying for the damage to the quality of life of the surrounding areas. Traffic, noise, garbage. 100% corruption. That was from April 21st. And something interesting happened. I got a response to that tweet. Well, first I had a few responses that were like, fascism, what are you talking about? And I'll get into that later. Um, But the first response that I noticed was M. Simone Boyd said, please, please come to the public hearing on Tuesday, April 25th at 6.30 p.m. at Metro Council. Please bring 10 neighbors. Well, I didn't bring 10 neighbors, but I brought my brother and my sister, and we went to the stadium hearing. And I spoke. Good evening, everyone. I'm Pat Nolan, your announcer for this program. Tonight's meeting of the Metropolitan Nashville and Davidson County Council is coming to you live from the council chambers at the historic Metro Courthouse. Tonight's agenda is a short one on its face, focusing on Ordinance BL 2023-1741 on third and final reading. The ordinance would approve construction of a $2.1 billion roofed Titan Stadium and event center. The project will be the largest public-private construction project in Nashville and Tennessee history. It would also be the largest amount of public funding ever for an NFL stadium. Hi, my name is Chris Crofton, and I'm, um, I live in Madison. I don't know if I do I have to say that my, my exact street or anything. Uh, you need to give us your address. Turner Avenue, Madison, right past the old Hickory Boulevard intersection, which is shredded. The old Hickory Boulevard intersection is basically a wagon track where I can watch poor people's cars fall apart with my own eyes. And I know for a fact, because I just looked it up, that our council person is for this deal. Nashville, Madison, well, Nashville's roads in general are a disgrace. Ellington Parkway is a wagon track. Gallatin Road is a wagon track. I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke that this is even being considered. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say that this is corruption. Is that, is that allowed to be said? Because it's obvious. I've never, I'm mostly insecure about my political opinions because I have to look to, I think, maybe lawyers know better or I don't know what I'm talking about. But this is the most obvious thing. And that's why I'm here. It took something this obvious to embolden me to speak. Usually I second guess myself, but this issue is so clear cut. It is immoral and corrupt to pour public money into a private enterprise. This is socialism. 
This is socialism or authoritarianism forcing the citizens to pay for monuments. The Soviet Union, in the Soviet Union, this money would be going toward a, a gold statue of Stalin. It's the same thing. I can't drive the roads here. I used to live here when there, was, when there were roads you could drive. I used to live here when there, was, there were apartments you could afford to rent. I can't afford to go to a Titans game. There are teachers out in line out there talking about how they can, can't afford enough teachers to teach the students we have. This is a disgrace. You guys know it. This is everything to do with lobbyists. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. And so I just want to say um, that I'm grateful for the chance to speak. Thank you. It felt so good to speak truth to power. And when I was finished, I felt sad because I felt like I knew how the city council was going to vote. I felt as if it was a foregone conclusion, which made me feel bad. But I felt good because it was the first time I had ever spoken truth to power in such a, in a, in such a straightforward way. You know, not through stand-up comedy or an advice column. I also set a record for the number of times... Uh, someone said wagon track in a public setting. And when I got finished, the first message I got was from Sean Parker, Democratic Socialist Council member from District 5, saying, why do you have to demonize socialism? And I was not trying to demonize socialism. Uh, we need socialized medicine in this country so, so very badly. Um, it's a disgrace that we do not have public health care. My point was to say socialism to these people on the city council who were voting for the stadium deal and who were giving tax money to the NFL, uh, just trying to highlight to them because they think this is capitalism, but uh, this is socialism, but it's for corporations. So we're going the wrong, wrong direction. The people who need socialism are us, not the NFL. So after I spoke, I thought, well... The next thing I should do is explain um, to people who follow me why I said that the stadium deal was fascist. And um, I wrote it in a column for the Nashville scene that came out May 3rd, 2023. Um, and here's some, here's some stuff that I said in it that explains where I'm coming from. I wrote, quote, fascism doesn't have to look a certain way. When it comes this time, it won't wear the same uniforms as last time. It certainly won't call itself fascism. It doesn't have to act a certain way either. I think that fascism or another label you prefer for when an ostensibly representative government is taken over by oligarchs officially arrived in the United States via the Supreme Court's 2010 Citizens United decision. FDR had this to say about fascism, quote, The first truth is that the liberty of a democracy is not safe if the people tolerate the growth of private power to a point where it becomes stronger than their democratic state itself. That, in its essence, is fascism. Ownership of government by an individual, by a group, or by any other controlling private power, end quote. Our elected representatives are not listening to us. In fact, they're doing the opposite of what we want. What enables them to so confidently ignore the will of the people? Citizens United, a.k.a. billionaires' money, a.k.a., in my opinion, fascism. So... Giving huge amounts of taxpayer money to a very profitable for-profit business and looking bored while you do it? Fascism? Maybe not, but what do you call it then? Authoritarian democracy? In whatever system we are in, 
Casting a vote is the barest minimum. It's not enough. It's time to show up to the hearings. It's time to make people uncomfortable while they do their dirty business. It's time to run for office. Even if we don't win, our very presence will make political life harder for the grifters. All I'm really trying to say is, it's an emergency! So that came out on May 3rd. I declared my candidacy for city council on May 10th. I'm here at this oil change place, um, undisclosed location, um, but this is where I came right after I decided to run for city council. And I, was, I, was, I told everybody here that I was running for city council because I was so excited and everyone here was, I would say, underwhelmed. Um, and I was wondering if you guys remembered uh, when I came through here and said I was running for city council. Nope, I do not remember. I don't recall any. <laughs> and also, do you ever go down to the stadium? Do you ever go to a football game at the Titan Stadium? No. Do you ever go to a soccer game at that soccer stadium? No. Neither do I. So we're rolling. I'm on the phone with Sean Parker, um, city council, metro council member for Nashville from District 5, a friend of mine, uh, helped me uh, when I was um, considering running. He helped me decide to run. And I just wanted to ask you, Sean, um, what was the, for me, the sort of breaking point was the stadium deal um, that made me feel like I should get involved. What was your sort of moment, if there was one, and maybe there wasn't, maybe there was just a general sense of obligation or you were interested, but was there some catalyst that made you uh, want to become a city council member? Yeah, for me, it was it was just what I was seeing in my neighborhood. Um, you know, lots of my older neighbors were were selling their homes, and and they were getting replaced with uh, you know brand new Airbnb units, and and it was very disruptive, and it just it felt like the community was kind of you know the right the right calls were not being made, the right investments were not being made on the city as a whole, and um, I thought I might be able to do a good job at it. And I spent some time talking to a lot of neighbors and, and, and leaders in the community. And eventually uh, a lot of folks agreed that it would make sense for me to run. So, so I did. I think that's sort of connected to why I ran. I mean, I ran in the sense that the stadium was being prioritized over like the roads that I saw in Madison that were, you know, shredded. And I was watching, you know, uh, people with like middle income or low income getting their, you know, their cars getting wrecked on these roads. And that that didn't feel like, uh, you know, the priority seemed to me to be fixing the roads, not um, building another stadium, especially since we already had one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no lobbyist for affordable housing. There's there's no lobbyist for for, you know, neighborhoods. Um, and so folks do need to step up and run to represent kind of the, the everyday interests because um, th there's just not the concerted representation of those interests in government. So so we hope that our elected officials are, are filling that role. My system was going to be like, when it arises, I'll just do it kind of thing. Like I was like, just jump in with your righteous rage and then and then figure out where it goes from there. And And, and it went for me further than I expected, actually. And I got 13,000 votes. Um, and then it just sort of abruptly ended. Um, 
which was a funny thing about election night. Like I thought election night, I thought it would be a long night of like waiting for returns because I am used to watching it on television. Uh, and uh, I guess I was thinking about the presidential election. It was funny how fast I found out I lost. Like it was like I thought the I thought I was going to be in for a long night of like sipping hot cocoa and watching results. And it was like, I don't know, 10 minutes. It was like results are in. You lost. <laughs> One of the things you do when you're running for office is you go to Trader Joe's and you tell everybody that you're running for office. So that was an important part of my campaign. So I'm in Trader Joe's right now and I'm looking for some people who I told about running. Um, and you really got to break the ice with people and um, it usually turns out all right. That's all right. Hi, Jade. Hi. I'm bothering Jade at work at Trader Joe's. Yeah. But I, Jade, you're exactly who I'm looking for. Yes. Do you remember when I was running for office? Yes. And do you remember when I told you about it all the time? Yes. And you, I didn't know you when I told you, right? No. But now I do. Yeah. So one of the fun things about running for office, I think, is even if you lose like I did. Good publicity. Well, that's not what I was going to say. Good publicity, but also meeting nice people. I didn't know it was nice, but I'll take it. <laughs> and a reason, you know, a reason to talk. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to prove that it's true that I did, I did relentlessly campaign in Trader Joe's. You did relentlessly campaign in the Trader Joe's. I can confirm, but he was very nice about it the whole time. Thank you, Jade, very much. Okay, now I'm rolling around, rolling around Trader Joe's through the through the wine section. I don't drink anymore. Oh, they got that non-alcoholic. Golden. Well, that's nice. They have, they have like three non-alcoholic options. So, um, yeah, there'll be less, less crime in this area over here by Trader Joe's now that they got a non-alcoholic option. That's a joke. That's an alcohol joke. Here I am in the canned tuna section. Oh, no, they moved it. This is a show called uh, Nashville Confidential, which is part of This is Nashville. That show that's on every day, uh, Monday to Thursday, hosted by Khalil Ekelona. And <laughs> the guy in the middle, uh, Ollie, just shrugged. Um, so anyway, I, I just was here. Uh, I, I'm always here because I drive all the way from Madison because I love Trader Joe's so much. Yeah, and so I always talked about my election while I was here. And so I was just proving that by saying, I found Jade over there and I bothered her. I, I told her all about, and I told you, Olivia, as well. So I'm just proving it. So um, I lost, I got 13,000 votes though. That's and I credit a lot of it to, to Trader Joe's people uh, because I think you guys are all kind and, yeah. and I, I'm glad, thank you for putting up with me. This last bit here is from my um, voice recorder on my phone. I was just laying in bed after we had just finished this whole thing and I, I, I thought of a few things I wanted to say. So this is straight from my uh, voice recorder with me laying in bed and thinking about this stuff. Please understand I'm not a pessimist. I'm hopeful. If you talk to a young person, say 25 or 30 years old, and you ask them if we're dealing with fascism and they'll say, uh, obviously. If you talk to someone my age, 54 or even older, 
a boomer, they'll say, yo, not so fast. Come on. It's things are a little tough, but, uh, there's no reason to, uh, get too excited, but there is a reason to get excited. And, um, first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. Um, and I, I'm not, um, I, I'm calling for people to get engaged, to run for office. Um, it's time to fight and, uh, and to be kind. Uh, fascism is the opposite of kindness. It's completely transactional. It's a zero-sum game. And community is not. Civilization is not. It's a, it's a sharing experience. Capitalism, you want to rebel against capitalism, you share. And uh, here's a little bit of an interview I did with a homeless man in Madison the other night about this very, about this very concept of kindness. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, hey, it's Chris Crofton. I'm standing at the corner of uh, Old Hickory Intersection here right with here. my friend. Kevin Richmond. Kevin Richmond. And my question for you is, as far as politics, do you have any hope? Like, I just ran for a city council. Do you do you vote for local uh, in local elections? Uh, I've been trying to actually get back my voting rights, but what is your actual question? Because is your actual question because you didn't win and you needed my vote or what? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. My question is, do you have hope? Like when you think about something like your situation right now, um, and you think about the stadium. Do you think about the stadium? What they're finna do, rebuild the stadium? Yes. I, I think, uh, to be totally honest, yeah. uh, you know, they took, uh, what was that gas station, the petrol, the diesel truck stop down, you know, because they said they're finna move the stadium. I don't really understand that because there's railroad tracks and a bridge right there. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to build it up. And also they just put like, you know, for a project they got going for, probably won't be done for maybe two years or something they said, they just put like 30 people out of work. You know, and then uh, they they took away all that business that was at the truck stop. You know, so I don't agree with if we're speaking politics. Yeah. I don't agree with politics on this case. If you can't make a plan of action that doesn't put people out of work, you know what I'm saying? Until you get the other thing done, that doesn't rectify any situation or help anyone. You know what I'm saying? If you're gonna put put people out of work, have another job for them. If you put these 30 people out of work because you want to build a stadium for the rich folks, you're going to put those 30 poor folks out of work and they're going to be out on the streets. So that's not politics to me. That's greed. I agree. That's that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering when I think of the stadium deal and I think about you out here, uh, you know, having to having to ask for money, which is like totally legit. Uh, I'm going to put it like this way. Nobody from the stadium is gonna drive up on my black ass right now and help me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Are you planning? I, I, but then, let me do it like this oh, though. Yeah, yeah. Let me do it like this. I don't know who are the people that have control of that deal either. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not knocking nobody in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I just think that when you are rich and you have the ability, I don't really care if somebody drives by and gives me a dollar or a hundred dollars, but I do care about this. There are women and children out here. I ain't perfect. I've made plenty of mistakes. You know what I'm saying? But there are actual people out here who need actual help. You know what I'm saying? If I got six, seven blankets and it's 26 degrees outside, I'm not going to freeze to death. But that girl pushing that basket down the street, 
put that's got her kid in it and ain't got nowhere to go, she's gonna freeze to death for the damn, you know, freeze to death. And I don't really know if that has anything to do with the stadium deal. But it, what it does have to do with is human kindness, you know. I agree. And grace, you know. And uh, if you want me to be honest, really honest with you, you know. I do. Uh, and I appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm gonna let you have a few more minutes of my time because I'm finna get. Really, I understand. Get really real. I'm finna get really, really angry at the same time. That's okay. Nah, it ain't okay. But God, I hope you are listening because you are talking to a God-fearing spiritual Christian. Could you please? It is Sunday. Could you please stop having these people drive by me dressed to the nines on their way to church or coming back from church with crosses in the window and just drive by homeless people like they don't exist? Where two or more gathered, God is in the midst. So if they roll down the window and I touch their hand, God is right here on the street with me and them. Tell them church ain't just about Sunday. Tell them that any time of matter, a guy just drove by me, he didn't give me any money, but he said, can I pray with you? And that was all I needed. And that's real. It ain't a word of life about stadiums and all that crap. It is about this. Human kindness should rule all nature. I agree. You know, I, I, and another thing, if the apocalypse happened right now, literally right now, if somebody dropped a bomb, all those people that keep saying, all I got is money on my card, y'all be in real trouble because all the banks will be closed. Thank you. I agree with that. And please say your name one more time for me. Kevin Richmond. Kevin, thank you so much. I have no problem. So, the federal government is so soaked in money that it's ground to a halt. The Supreme Court has been infiltrated by billionaires. The only places actual legislation is still happening are at the state and local levels. So, kind people, let's get involved. All you need are about 50 signatures and a conscience. And for those of you wondering, I will run again. Special thanks to Sean Parker, Delicia Porterfield, Eric Wilson, Patrick Rogers, the Nashville Scene, Trader Joe's, the guys at the oil change place in Madison, Linwood Regnesburg for his help editing and original music for this episode, and most of all, thanks to Kevin Richmond, for his amazing, off-the-cuff, inspiring interview. And uh, the theme song was made by me, my friend Albert Hickman, and produced by Taylor Jones. Thanks to the people of Nashville, Tennessee. This is Nashville, and thanks for listening. Thanks to Chris Crofton for bringing us this edition of Nashville Confidential. And thanks to you for listening. This is Nashville is a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and directed by yours truly. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to all of you. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you Monday, everybody. Have- and be good to each other. <laughs>